I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man, who was called Mal Evans, who was on roadie, and uh, <clears throat> I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Salt and pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Rohan Nachini, joined today by my good friend, the Michigan booster who got Jim Harbaugh to stay in Ann Arbor, Sports <laughs> Illustrated senior writer. And New York Times best-selling author of the book Blood in the Garden, Chris Herring. Chris, how's it going, buddy? Dude, you like the 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 bona fides that you give me each time <laughs> we do this podcast are like they just literally you top them each time somehow. Dude, I don't know how. I literally, if you want to know how sick in the head I am, I literally had a dream last night about intro the podcast introduction. But it was because you needed a specific plug for the book, but you felt really ashamed to ask. Just so everyone knows, Chris never, ever, ever asks me to plug his book. I just, you know, we do it out of our love for Chris. So I, I had a weird dream where you were like, felt really bad because you had to ask me to plug your book for you. That I got real desperate out of nowhere. And just, <laughs> uh, man, that's a, that is a super specific dream to have for something <laughs> I've legit never asked you guys to do. But I uh, I think it's because I went to sleep thinking about what are we going to talk about on the podcast tomorrow. You know you know what I mean? Well, uh, it'll have a connection yeah. to the book, I guess, in some ways. But the book, um, by the time a lot of people are listening to this, I think it'll be exactly one year since the book dropped. Which wow, is cool. how about that? Um, time flies, man. But, uh, but again, you know, I've said it on this pod and just in general, um, really, really appreciative of everybody that's supported and it's been more, uh, successful than I ever could have imagined as far as the number of people that bought it, the, the way people have responded to it, the, the stuff that's kind of like happening as an offshoot to it is, uh, you know, we've talked about the stuff with Spike and the docuseries. Yeah. How come you of... haven't put me, you and Spike on a group chat yet? Uh, Probably because uh, I think Spike gets overwhelmed with with people, generally speaking. I, I, I think I was telling you about that. Um, he had me sit with him courtside, actually this time last year uh, at a Knicks game on MLK Day. 
um and just a number of selfies and autographs and everything that he's asked for like it's it's actually not that i needed to be able to like have uninterrupted conversation with him about anything that deep but he like literally can't just sit and focus on a game or watch you know like enjoy a conversation with someone because everybody wants a piece of him which is probably how being a celebrity works and it's probably cost of the cost of that but uh yeah it, because of that there's times where even i'll like reach out and we'll have like a really really clear conversation going via text or email or whatever and then it's just like no response then it's like i can't even be mad he's spike lee um so i'm gonna I'm a, I'm a tread lightly before i start kind of introducing the people from my life <laughs> into his life because i feel like he's barely got enough uh focus you know just for for me and the stuff that we've got going on but uh well if he but, didn't yeah. want to be bothered so much he shouldn't have made those movies that were so good um, yeah, I'll tell yeah, him to yeah. do the right thing and, and, yeah, and open yeah. up his world oh, a little bit. Yeah, that was a really bad <laughs> pivot. Was rough. Anyway, that moving was right rough. along. <laughs> that was pretty bad. <laughs> the, some of the heat I've caught for segues and intros in the past, that was right up there in terms of the worst of them. Uh, Chris, <laughs> we got a lot of things we would like to get to today. We're past the halfway point of the NBA season. Uh, there's a couple things I want to get to. I guess I'll ask you real quick. Was there anything you wanted to talk about from the MLK Day games? Um, we had some good finishes. I mean, nothing too crazy. I just wanted to throw that out in case there was anything uh, fun that caught your eye. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that there's a couple. Uh, and, I, you know, in that, I'll, I'll kind of include, like, MLK weekend uh, just because there were some teams that played Saturday mm-hmm. as opposed to – or, I'm sorry, Sunday as opposed to Monday. Um I think one was cool. Like Walker Kessler is serious. Uh, okay, I I was about to ask you if the Wolves called the Jazz and said we'll trade you Rudy Gobert for Walker Kessler straight up. The Jazz would say no, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. Especially, I mean, think about if you remember when the whole uh, stalemate between the Knicks and the Jazz was going on for Donovan Mitchell. Remember that the Jazz like essentially kind of didn't really, really, really want R.J. Barrett. I mean, obviously, the Knicks reportedly offered him. And the reason that they would have said no to that, uh, because I assume most teams, you know, that are rebuilding would, of course, you'd want to have, like, an R.J. Barrett. Like, even if you don't think he's great, he's good. He's got the potential Mm -hmm. to be um, an all-star over his career. Um, The only reason you're saying no to something like that is that you don't want to take on his salary. So Mm -hmm. multiply that by whatever how much more Rudy Gobert is making than Mm -hmm. RJ Barrett. Um, Aside from the fact that if you're the jazz, you've already, uh, you know, you've already seen that that you, yeah. yeah. You know, like, so just uh, not to mention that Walker Kessler's production offensively is probably going to dwarf whatever Rudy does very, very, very soon dwarfed it uh, in this game. They just played, but you know, Rudy wasn't, um, wasn't healthy and didn't finish the game, but uh, yeah, Uh, Walker. And I mean, it's not just now like Walker Kessler is, you know, has been a, a premier shot blocker. He's been a one of the best rebounders in the league. He's got an offensive game. He's got good footwork. Uh, he's mobile. Uh, yeah, this was, you know, and I, I've been critical of this before from where I sit, where teams, it's one thing when you trade picks. It's another when you trade, when you essentially trade a guy that you've drafted too, because this trade happened after the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, what was it, a week or two after the draft? Whenever it was. So at this point, this is a guy that, you know, 
the Timberwolves have just scouted and said, like, this is the guy we want. So to to trade whatever it was, five picks and pick swaps or, you know, combined, and then to also trade the guy that you just picked that you believed in, um, I'll be damned if I'm going to be criticized not only for bringing someone to town that, like, wasn't worth it, but also, like, that I went out of my way to identify the guy that I think this team needs in Walker Kessler and then trade him away and watch him, like, basically gritty all over my team like <laughs> no no thanks it's a hard no and uh so yeah yesterday had to be really frustrating for uh for timberwolves fans from that standpoint not to mention they had 20 points 21 rebounds and that you know utah wins the game by one point walker kessler's legit man we were joking about him in the group chat but i like did they maybe upgrade at center i i, I I don't want to pile on Gobert. I did not mean to turn this into a, a Gobert pylon. The version of Gobert that the Wolves traded for is not the version of Gobert we've seen the last couple of years. And it's like mm. the Walker-Kessler thing just makes it feel even crazier that this all mm. happened. Yeah. To your question from before about what else stands out, and I think it'll probably segue into part of what mm-hmm. you wanted to talk about today. It's just, a, you know, LeBron, I think, epitomized it, but also Jason Tatum had 51. Um Bron, I mean, he's in his 20th season now, going for 48. Was it 48, 9, and 9, or 48, 8, and 9, or whatever it was? Granted, it's the the Rockets. Granted, you know, um, the neither the Lakers nor the Rockets right now are, are very good. Shingun had, you know, like a career game. Uh, I think he had, what, 33, 15, uh, 6, and 4, or something like that. Um, they need to start running the offense through him is another takeaway that I have. Like they should have been doing that. Um, but just generally speaking, like I'm at a point now where my head is spinning from the numbers that people are putting up, um, whether it's LeBron almost having 50 at age 38, whether it's, you know, Tatum having had more 50 point games than Larry bird at age 23 or whatever he is. Um, you know, Luca doing what he does and it's, it's league wide now where it's interesting. I feel like at one point, as a staff at Sports Illustrated, we used we used to kind of be of the opinion, the the thought, the almost the expectation that like, okay, for every fifty point game that someone scores, one of us needs to like stop what we're doing and write a story about it and an analysis piece, a you know, a news piece. Um, we can't anymore mm-hmm. because it's happening so frequently. So granted, when you get a seventy one point game, you're going to write on Mitchell or whatever, but uh, it's just so frequent now that we kind of have to, I think, start thinking about these games differently, um, analyzing them a little bit differently because the scoring is just so high and so frequent. Um, so, yeah, that's the other takeaway I've got from this weekend. It's just like I can't keep my eyes focused anymore with, uh, you know, it's like ping pong with uh, with these scoring games. Yeah, man, let's get into that a little bit because I think that's been one of the two kind of bigger picture storylines we've seen from this NBA season. We've had this kind of undercurrent of parity across the league where there are a lot of good teams this year. And that's been interesting. Also real quick, you mentioned the Rockets. Sorry. I just want to say so depressing. What a bummer of a team. Get some adults in there. But in addition, (laughs) by that, you mean some, some more vets on the team or yes. Yes. Uh They need to do something. It's, it's an egregious egregious tank job yeah. and I, I to the point where it makes me a little worried about how those young players are developing me too but 
in terms of the scoring, I think that's been the other kind of bigger picture storyline in addition to the parody. I mean, you mentioned we have all these huge scoring nights. I think it was like 50 guys are averaging 20 points a game. Then you have these like the stat muse accounts that will just post, you know, slash lines side by side, and it's like Donovan Mitchell is having the same numbers as Kobe's MVP season, or you know, this guy's having Dirk's MVP season, and it to me that says more about how the game has changed than how good some of these players are. That's not to take away from what Donovan Mitchell is doing, but yeah. The degree to which, obviously, I think we're, we're both in agreement. Players get more talented over time, but there's also as good as the best player was in 2006. No one was, ha- no one in like 2006 had the green light to come off of a high pick and roll and just take a pull up three whenever they wanted, like Donovan Mitchell does. <laughs> right, which is crazy to think about, but it's it just it's just how the game was played. No one. No one under quite understood the value of that shot yet. And so you didn't have someone pulling up for eight threes a game. You just didn't have teams taking as many threes. The defense did not have to guard as much of the floor. And we've just had this kind of crazy scoring boom. And it's exciting to watch, I think. I, on the other hand, it is also... It goes up a notch in the playoffs, but I, I, I'm definitely someone who yearns for teams that went on to the defensive end of the floor. I love watching that style of basketball as well. Chris, are you enjoying the scoring boom? Do you have thoughts about it? Are you worried about it? How do you feel about kind of the direction the game is headed this season? Yeah, I mean, it, it's when you're watching somebody cook, it's always fun. But at the same time, it does, when you see so many guys doing what they're doing, um I do feel like on some level it, it I, do I want to use the word cheapens because it, it, it feels mm-hmm. a little strong and it's maybe not fair, but it, you just can't weigh it the same. You can't view it as such a special thing anymore when you've got 11 guys in a month going for 50 or whatever it's been, you know, I'm, I'm just throwing a random number out there, but I bet it's not that far off. Um, hell, I took my nephew and my sister to the Bulls Warriors game the other day and Vooch had like, 43 points um you know so it's just like out of nowhere these guys are just uh i mean the craziest thing about donovan mitchell is that i think he only had did he even have 20 points it it was like yeah at halftime he had like 26 or something insane so i mean that's part of what it is it's just like i mean honestly you know and we've talked about a little bit on this podcast the 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 take foul has sped the game up you know, you're not able to foul guys anymore and stop them in transition. So the way you I, I, I definitely I want to put a pin in that real quick because I, mm-hmm. I agree that that's that's obviously had to have had some effect. Mm-hmm. And but I feel like they bring it up on every podcast, on every broadcast. It's like there's no take foul this year. Was was the take foul really <laughs> suppressing scoring this much? It's just I'm not saying it's not a factor. It's just as interesting to me how many people cite it. Like, you just hear it so often. And in mm-hmm. my mind, I'm like, was it suppressing scoring this much? I don't necessarily know if that's what it was. I think it's a combination of a few things. I think, um, look, a lot of these teams, I don't know if it's more than normal, but it certainly has kind of felt this way. Um, a lot of these teams have had their best score out. You know, you look at a, 
you know, New Orleans, Boston, Brooklyn, Milwaukee. Um, Luca might as well have somebody out, you know, just with how singular he is with that right. team. Um, you know, the Bulls now, when I talked about Vucevic in the game he had, uh, DeRozan has missed time. Uh, you know, all, all these teams have had a, a, a key guy out, and so it kind of leaves the ball more in the hands of certain people. Um, you know, we, we talked about the just the pull-up nature of the game. When you look at the take fouls and, and the fact that they're not there and what it will kind of embolden even more, uh, what do we see, you know, that, that that drives the get off my lawn NBA fan crazy in transition all the time? <laughs> Guys pulling up for threes when they could go all the way to the basket. So, I mean, yeah. if someone no, really has it going, um, the idea of a take foul slowing the game down, it's not, you know, it's, it's not necessarily like one play here or there. It's that the game just keeps going. And specifically, think about a team like Sacramento where how fast they play, mm. that if you don't throw a random foul in there that just starts the game over, you know, after the 15 seconds it takes to take the ball out and reset everything, you could have three possessions before really anything stops, three, four possessions before anything stops. And so you've had so many scoring opportunities in that time. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's that. It's, you know, when we talk about the parity and the fact that sometimes this plays out on a nightly basis, if you've got a team that's down five or six points, if there are more games that have been close this year, you're going to be sending guys to the line to extend the game. So, you know, I think about that a lot. Anytime I see somebody like I was actually surprised LeBron didn't get to 50 last night hmm. because of how close that game was at the end that he had like 43, 44 in the last two minutes of the game. And I'm like, okay. And the Lakers are ahead by four or five. And so the Lakers are going to end up going to the line because the Rockets are going to extend the game. So that happens in, in, in a league where you've got more parity than usual and a lot of really tight games, seemingly you're going to have that. So it's, you know, I, I don't know if there's any one thing, but the pace has been cranked enough to where it's like, yeah, if you had guys that were hovering around 25 points, which we had a lot of those guys last year, all of a sudden you give them three, four extra points. You've got 30 in terms of 30 point scores. I think you've got eight or nine guys that are averaging 30. It's, and, I mean, you, I look at some of the numbers and I'm like, and beads, like, we don't talk about Joel Embiid enough on this podcast. It's my fault. Mm -hmm. But he's at like 35 a game. Like Embiid's having an insane season. And I think part of the reason people aren't talking about it more is like you mentioned, so many guys are averaging 30. And I don't want to take away from like Tatum or whomever, but yeah, it was a lot different. And I'm, I'm not like the biggest, like Kobe was the greatest of all time guy, but Kobe scoring like 27 a night or when he went off for 80 or when he had the 40 point game stretches or whatever he was doing kind of in that in between Shaq and Pow era, you know, like 2006 to 2008 mm -hmm. was a lot harder <laughs> than because people were just weren't taking threes. The pace was a lot slower. The court was nowhere near as uh, spaced out. This is so I think I've mentioned this before, but the. The old host of this podcast, Ben Golliver and Andrew Sharp, would always joke with me that I was going to turn 30 and all my takes were going to turn into old man takes. And I was like, that'll never happen to me. I'm row baby. I'm young forever. But they were right. They were absolutely right. And one of my old man takes that's now starting to develop is I'm a little worried about this season as an inflection point 
for NBA history. I'm worried that you and I are going to have to be the people who explain 15 years ago, 15 years from now, why Donovan Mitchell was in fact not as good as yeah. Kobe Bryant or you know name whoever. We're going to have to explain you know why Tim Duncan what's Tim Duncan's career points per game average? It's probably around 17, 18, something like that. Yeah, because he played for guess, so many years yeah. at the end where he wasn't. We're, you know. we're going to have to explain why Tim Duncan didn't shoot threes. So we're going to have to explain why Tim Duncan would still be good in the current NBA. I, I'm just, I'm weirdly a little nervous about what this season and kind of how hard it's going to be to put the NBA in proper context anymore. Yeah, um, like I remember when I played, uh, I guess Little League Baseball, but when I started to get a little bit older in the, the upper ranges of Little League, and, and for like a couple of years there, um, Louisville Slugger started making these aluminum bats that could have fatter barrels. Mm-hmm. Um, and after about two, three years, they're like, okay, no, no more. Uh, just because it, it, it makes it impossible to pitch. It makes it impossible to field. It makes it impossible to keep enough baseballs with each team because people are just hitting them out, you know, out of the yard. Um, and obviously, you know, we, we've had conversations about that with, with, uh, major league baseball with regards to, you know, the home runs and whether the balls are juiced and stuff like that. We've been adding and football has done this too. I mean, it's, I think it's just sports in general when you're trying to get people to watch and you're petrified of having Jeff Van Gundy rail on you for a whole broadcast about the different things that make him not want to watch or not <laughs> as excited to watch, that offense ends up being advantaged more, just like with football, with all the passing stuff over the last few years, um, the last 15, 20 years probably. Um, basketball has had their fair share of that stuff too. And um, <laughs> I probably just sound like a get-off-my-lawn person or, or someone that wrote a book about the 90s Knicks, which... <laughs> If you've read it, I don't I don't really take sides about which version's better. Like I'm just writing the book down the middle, but um, Is the book I, any good by the way? I still got to check that out. I I I think it is. <laughs> I'm biased. I'm obviously a little biased, but I got to you know, grab one of the two copies I have on the shelf and maybe open it. I mean, I I think it informs I'm a lot kidding, for for you yeah. for you specifically. I think it informs a lot of the way the Heat play basketball or <laughs> have played basketball for a long time because of Riley's DNA, but uh, but, you know, I, I do think there's something to be said for like there are ways to curb the scoring because I do think you're right. And it, it's a question of how much does the league care about that? Uh, just like how much did baseball care about the idea that a lot of guys were going to be hitting 50 home runs? If you don't care, then it's not a problem. If you do and you you feel like something is being lost, um, particularly at a time where the league is trying to figure out ways to jam more basketball in you know and it's getting pressure to shorten the season or have fewer games or whatever the league is going to be really reluctant to make a lot of changes but i do think you're starting to push toward the upper ranges like how high can you let this go are, are you going to get to a point where guys are scoring 40 a game um and then it looks ridiculous in relation to something where most guys were averaging less than 30 um for so long so i i i am intrigued by that um i still enjoy watching it but i do think that it, it Again, I can't think of another word other than cheapens, but it just it waters it down. Maybe not cheapens, but it, yes, it waters it down because so many guys are doing it that it doesn't feel as special anymore when someone gets 50. Like we we used to it's always just such a huge deal. It used to be something where, you know, guys are pouring water on the guys at half court and they're getting the post game interview and, you know, it, it's leading sports center. And it's like 
are you kidding me? Like Sports Center can't, you know, lead with five different guys having fifty yeah. on a given night. Four different guys having fifty on a given night. No, it's a good point. It's definitely, I think, watered down is a good way to put it. And that's again, it's we're not trying to disrespect the current era. I'm not one of those people that's like it was better when I was growing up. I'm loving watching these games every night, and I'm loving the talent around the league. I like that teams, coaches, players, everyone has gotten wise to the, the kind of the ways to optimize the floor, optimize the way to play the game. You have to be so skilled. You know, as much as I, we, the scoring might be watered down at the same time, there are players, frankly, from previous eras, specialists who could not cut it today because you will be exposed. Like, I think about someone like uh, Ruben Patterson. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just, could he exist in today's NBA? Like, um, <laughs> why? Why did you bring him up? I'm curious. I just was like, who is like the most like burly? Um, like, <laughs> I, 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 I hesitate to say like, but he he couldn't play offense. Is what I'm getting at. Like, sure, I, he I could not okay. play. Our producer Shelby is chiming in that Ruben Patterson, former Portland Trailblazer, was the Kobe stopper, which is that's what I was about to say. Like, could he play? You probably would need him on some level just to I'm try pretty to stop sure I, from scoring I'm, 180 points. I'm, you know? I'm pretty sure I've been served a specific IG clip that was like it's Kobe being like Ruben Patterson was not the Kobe stopper. He, I mean, he wasn't, but it, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's it's convenient. But I, I know Ruben is listening to this somewhere and is going to be like, "Why did I just catch this?" Wild I'm so strain? sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's true. And listen, but I love those types of players. I love, you know, this is not the same. I think he could have cut it a little bit more, but like, I, you know, the PJ Brown types, I love, I love those rough and tumble guys. So, uh, it's just a different league and I I do think it's interesting. And I just hope that as people watch the game, everyone cools their jets a little bit, make sure we keep this in context, especially these like accounts that just, Everyone loves to do the comparison thing and it gets so annoying and and I try to be cheeky with it when I do it but please recognize that even though Donovan Mitchell is having a fantastic season he's not having Kobe's 2007 season or whatever it is like let's just all take a deep breath and recognize that the game do is you, a lot different do you think the average person knows that like it's hard i'm trying to take off like my yeah, NBA, national right. NBA i don't analyst know hat. i don't know i hope people know i mean like uh, statistically you can do that but it, it gets really disingenuous because i think that the smarter way to view the question is like not statistically in terms of just counting stats or even efficiency stats at a certain point because the game has changed from that standpoint too with the focus on the three ball um and the you know the, the prominence of guys getting to the line the prevalence of guys getting to the line I would hope that people can view it, especially at that like all NBA level of ultimately where does this guy rank throughout the league? Almost mm. like an NBA rank of sorts. But like yeah. Kobe was constantly in that like, is he the MVP or is he like the second, third best player in right. the league? I don't think anybody's saying that about Donovan Mitchell right now. And like I think that's okay. He's having a great season. He's got his team in position to maybe get home court advantage in the East, which is ahead of schedule for them. So I think it's fine, like for Donovan Mitchell to be in an all NBA conversation without being like an MVP candidate. Um, but if Kobe is an annual MVP candidate for those years, let's not make that comparison. It's no different yeah. than the questions about Mike and, you know, Michael Jordan and like 
you know, his predecessors from the previous generation, essentially. Kobe was a different generation at this point versus who we're talking about. Yeah. I know he played forever, but just like LeBron at this point, theoretically should kind of be a different generation. The guy was talking to Jabari Smith Jr. And Jabari Smith was saying that his dad played against LeBron in his first career game. Like, so these guys are of a different generation. And when you, when you really think about it, and that's probably the safest way to think about it. Cause the game has shifted completely from when LeBron even started his career. Oh man. I'm worried about the kids, Chris, just kids listen to this <laughs> podcast. Make sure you're, you're, uh, in touch with your history. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We have more insightful conversations between myself, Paul Muldoon, and Paul McCartney about his life and career. It was 20 years ago today. We had a big bear of a man, it's called Mal Evans, who's on road. And uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, Will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless, from the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic. I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around, I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big top they ran socks in 2004, bounced back after the 3-0. We never win a chicken dinner, homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's move on to a team we have not discussed enough on this podcast so far this year. And that is the New York Knickerbockers. Shout out to the New York Knicks. Having a hell of a season. 
I really liked the Jalen Brunson signing. I never quite understood. I'm, I'm, this is me patting myself on the back. I'm pulling the Herring Giannis move right here. But yeah. <laughs> I liked the Jalen Brunson signing. And lo and behold, Julius Randle is having another resurgent season. The Knicks are sixth in the East, three games behind Cleveland for number five. Weirdly, middling at home, 11 and 12 at home, dominant, quote unquote, on the road, 14 and eight. Um, two and five division record, which is interesting. They're seven and three in their last 10 games, 25 and 20. Uh, they've been really good. They've just been really good. Randall is averaging 24.4 a game, 10.6 rebounds. Uh, huge comeback season for him. Brunson, 22 points a game, six assists. Uh, what have you made of the Knicks? How seriously are you taking them? Uh, where, wherever you want to take this convo, Chris, you tell me. Okay. So I do think that there's an element of what they're doing that is real and, and legitimate. I think, um, as I wrote today, you know, I'm kind of focused on in my newsletter Brunson, that was never a bad signing. And you can kind mm-hmm. of go back and look at what you've said, what you've written, what I've said, what I've written. Um, I think there's too much of a hyper focus and too much of a fear, particularly with the big markets that get written about a lot in terms of overpays. And I, I, I made reference to that today in my newsletter that the same conversation was being had three years ago about Fred Van Vliet when he was going to be a free agent mm. and the Knicks were mentioned as a potential uh, landing spot for him. And I remember seeing a lot of fans saying like, oh, like that, you know, he would be a wild overpay at this point, you know, coming off the title and everything else and, you know, his improvement you know, I don't want to have to overpay him. And by overpay, people basically mean $20 million. He ended up getting $21 million a year. Brunson, you know, fast forward three years, Brunson got $26 million a year and is on a descending contract where he's making less money each one of those years on the deal. He's making literally an average amount of money for a starting point guard in the league. And mm. I would venture to, you know, I would I would weigh in and say he's playing better than average. He's averaging, you know, even if a lot of guys in the league are averaging 30 a game, he's averaging 30 for the month, 31 for the month, 31 and a half for the month. Um, He's, you know, he's been fantastic for them. He's won them games. He's legitimately won them games. And I think aside from his own stuff, as you just mentioned, he, I think even if the numbers don't bear it out as far as like, you know, how they shoot off of Brunson's passes specifically, I think that he's made life more comfortable for Julius Mm -hmm. Randle. He's made life more comfortable for RJ Barrett to the to the tune of them having seasons that are more uh reminiscent of what they did 2 years ago as opposed to you know when they were struggling last year and the moments where they struggled last year. So, you know, I think it's a huge win for them. He's he's shot 52% in the clutch on like 60 some shots. Um he's been fantastic. What I'm a little bit curious about, they are a top they're basically a top 10 team on either side of the ball which normally screams this team's a contender. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're, you're you're normally not used to seeing a team that has those sorts of numbers be sixth in the East and, you know, not super, super comfortably like in the playoffs at this point. You know, they, they still are like potentially in playing range. And when you marry that with the fact that they've got one of the hardest schedules left in the league, um, I don't think they have a whole lot of wins that you can look at and be like, oh, this team has beaten mm. a bunch of good squads. Uh, so it's early from that standpoint. They, they've blown a lot of games. Like they very easily could have a record that's three or four games better than what it is. They've lost at the buzzer a couple times. Um, 
you know, they've dropped a couple games that they absolutely should have won. Uh, I think if you ask the average Nick fan, they would say they've lost twice now. When you ask about their division record, they've lost twice now to Toronto in games that they probably should have won. Mm. Um, but uh, I'm going to be very curious to see, like, do certain people revert? Um, if they have an injury, let's say to, like, a Quentin Grimes, for instance, who has already missed time this year, um, I think he has, like, an outsized impact on that team because he's such a – a good defender and such a good floor spacer who doesn't need the ball to really help that team a lot. Whereas you've got three guys that all kind of expect and need the ball on offense. Um, and so I think Grimes is kind of a perfect fit for a team like that. Um, it was a no brainer. And a lot of Knicks fans will tell you it was a no brainer to, to be playing him a lot more than somebody like Evan Fournier who started the season for them. Um, so I, I think that a lot of the right, buttons have been pushed and moves have been made. Um, but I do want to see like, do they revert to a worse form of themselves uh, when they start, when the going gets tough, essentially they've still got to play Boston three more times. Uh, they've got to play the nuggets. They've got to play the nets three more times, the Sixers twice, Cleveland twice, the Pelicans twice. Don't think they've um, played Miami yet. So I, yeah. yeah, you know, so they've, they've got some, they've got some, uh, challenging games coming up at some point. Yeah. But I mean, if you had a, you know, if you're the Knicks, if you're a Knicks fan and you get to the 45 game mark, 25 and 20 with games you've left on the table, you should be with very, the team, very happy. Yeah. With the team that is essentially top 10 on both sides of the ball with Randall, like being a borderline all-star Brunson being a borderline all-star, you take that all day long and, uh, and, and certain, and really guys out of the rotation that I think, um, at a different point in Thibodeau's career, I don't think he would have made those decisions yeah. to have uh, Fournier out of the rotation and Grimes in, to have McBride in the rotation and Rose out. Uh, so I, I'm very curious to see what they do. I'm also very curious um, to see whether they go and add to this. They, they've got some yeah. guys that I think they could realistically trade to try to you know, speed this up a little bit more, to try to make more of a run at this. And, uh, depending on what they were to do in a situation like that, I think that they could they'd, they'd be intriguing. Um, yeah, them being top ten in, in offense and defense is remarkable. It, it really is. Mm -hmm. What do you make of Randall's season? Because he is the big twenty one season, which kind of had some important factors. You know, the Knicks had like nine months off before that season. It was a COVID year. A lot of guys in and out of the lineup. Sure. Last year, he kind of crashes back down to earth. He's getting like into arguments with fans. Not arguments, but... <laughs> no, he you was. Know, it, it, he yeah, flipped them off. Yeah, yeah, he was... Or uh, not yeah. flipped them off. He uh, he gave him the thumbs down, was it, or something. Yeah, yeah, you know, mixing it up with fans in a not positive manner. And then this year, it's 24-10-3, I think 50% from the field. Um, You know, the counting stats are all there. I still think that... Uh, his defense maybe leaves a little bit to be desired, but what do you make of the Randall Renaissance? Are you, are you buying into it? Is he a number three or number two on a good team? 45% from the field, 34% um, from three. Uh, how do you feel about Randall so far? So I, I think he, like on a championship team, I don't think he's any higher than a number three. Mm -hmm. Um you know, so I, I, I keep thinking about it from that standpoint uh, in the same way that when I watched 
the Brunson signing, I didn't think that he was a number one on like a a top tier playoff team in the East. I think that he's more of a number two. Hell, if Brunson could be your number three, you would take that too. We'd obviously be talking about a really good team if all of a sudden Randall is your number three or your number four and Brunson is your number, or if he's your number three. Um, so I think that there's still clearly one star level guy away. It is really interesting to give thought now to like, given how Donovan Mitchell has looked this year, what if Donovan Mitchell was on this team? Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously you would lose some of the guys that you have on, you know, that you really feel good about if you're the Knicks, but uh, maybe they would have been even more interesting than we give them credit for. I figured they would have been a defensive, defensively challenged team if, if mm-hmm. they'd done that. But I also thought that Cleveland would be more defensively challenged than they are, and they've basically been the best defense in the league so far. So, um, you know, that I'm sure on some level that has to sting uh, for the Knicks. Again, they're 25 and 20, so they're fine. Um, but I, I, I think that they... I, I have some questions about certain guys. I have some questions about what Thibodeau is going to do down the stretch with certain things. But I do think that Randall, uh, this was the best you could have asked for if you were a Knicks fan with Randall. Mm. Uh, you figured he wasn't nearly as bad as what he showed last year. Right. You also probably figured that he wasn't nearly as good as what he showed two years ago. And mm-hmm. I know, I think you were on the side of there's a regression coming. I know Michael Pina was like beating who? the drum every chance he could get. Mike Jones. Who? <laughs> Mike Jones. Uh, look at Chris understanding cultural yeah. reference. Um, but Michael was was super pessimistic about right, Randall right. ever repeating that no, we, season. We, him and I had many discussions about that regression coming yeah. last year. It hit hard. It, it hit hard. It, but in Randall's defense, I don't think – I don't know anyone who saw this season from him. Right. But, I mean, the reality is – and even if you just look at the, the last two seasons um, – this is essentially almost like a like splitting the baby between the season he had two years ago and the season mm-hmm. he had last year. Like it's not, I mean, numbers wise here or there, it's it's pretty close, but it's like it's pretty much like the 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 dead center of those two seasons, the middle of those, the average of those two. So I, you know, that I think that was the best you could have asked for is like you knew he wasn't that great and you knew he wasn't that bad. So if you could just give us something in between those two. And that's your normal now. That's your new normal. I think fans could deal with that. And I think also that um, from the standpoint of like, if you traded him, certainly with the also like he had one of the stranger seasons I've ever seen last year, just as far as he just seemed so unhappy and so agitated. And he still has moments where that that frustration flashes, certainly towards the refs. And you even hear Mike Breen make references to he made a reference to it yesterday of trying to kind of keep the temper down. But you weren't going to get much in return for him if you did deal him, if you did deal him now. So this is the best you could have asked for is like get a guy that is a 25-point-per-game scorer who's relatively efficient, um, who's not forcing the issue as much. And I think that's part of what it was last year. He was an all-star. He was an all-NBA talent two years ago. So who's really going to take the ball out of his hands and tell him to calm down? particularly if you don't have a starting caliber point guard. And they were using Alec Burks at point guard last year for most of the season. Uh, that wasn't going to cut it. But shout out to Alec Burks, by the way. I was looking at his numbers yesterday. Solid pro. Solid he, pro. His numbers are, like, better uh, with Detroit, which is hard to understand given that, you know, it's a team that is struggling right now, uh, understandably so. But Alec Burks for the last couple of years now has had really good numbers um, and could maybe, you know, at some point could help a 
contending team, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if, if he were in that sort of role. But uh, no, I mean, Randall, this is all you could ask for from him. And uh, Barrett, as he always does, comes out of like those that two year hibernate, two month hibernation to start the season and plays much <laughs> better. Um, he had 32 yesterday or whatever it was. Uh, had a huge dunk that even really put the game in overtime to begin with, uh, which was just like a heads up play. Yeah, that, was that, was that was nuts. It was a nasty play. I can't remember too many plays where I've seen like an emphatic dunk to send the game to overtime in the last second of regulation. But, uh, you know, I think that they're going to be fine. Um, they, they need to be a little bit mindful of if they have an injury, being ready to pivot and make a deal soon because I don't think they're going to have so much cushion uh, to where they can withstand a, a Grimes injury for three weeks or something like that. Or, you know, if, if Brunson were to get hurt and miss real time, I do think it changes the the outlook for a team like this because of how good he's been for them. So mm-hmm. uh, as long as they're healthy, though, I think that they, you know, they're a very, very interesting team. Um, I'm not sure they strike fear in the hearts of anybody just yet, uh, but look, we'll see how they come out of this tougher schedule for the second half. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We have more insightful conversations between myself, Paul Muldoon, and Paul McCartney about his life and career. It was 20 years ago today. We had a big bear of a man, it's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie. And uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. I said, what? Sergeant Pepper. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless, from the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic. I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, you... he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with Big Pop. Hey, Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0. 
Winner, winner, chicken dinner, homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You mentioned the schedule. It's going to be... Interesting that it's getting tougher because, like I mentioned, that home road split is weird. I don't know if that's fluky or going to be indicative of something. I I don't want to do like the they should trade for someone talk, but I just want to throw it out there. I don't know who the next star is going to become, who becomes available is. It's possible it's like a Bradley Beal. Do you feel like they need to get back in the star hunting game or should they just be kind of happy with this current build and because as of right now i uh, let me start here would you be shocked if they made the second round of the playoffs uh as it stands right now a little bit yeah Yeah. because i mean even if even if they it still feels like there's a clear line between them philly cleveland yeah 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 I mean, they've played. Let's put it this way: they've played really competitive games against those teams. I mean, if yeah. you talk to the Knicks the fans, Bucks they games would have been good. Yeah, right. They would be furious that they dropped those Bucks games. Um, you know, they've played Philly very competitively. Um, you know, I, I, I just kind of feel like it's, you can't draw too much of a conclusion from regular season matchups. Certainly, first half of the season matchups, uh-huh. and then extrapolate that and then say oh well we'd match up really well in the playoffs it's a different level um brunson has that experience and a lot of those knicks players do have the experience but it was you know we saw how overmatched they were in uh, you know a series against a you know a pretty solid atlanta team i think we can look back and say that talent wise they had a lot of talent um but they were also making a first appearance in the Mm -hmm. playoffs that year uh so i i just kind of feel like they they need another guy um from where i sit they need another guy uh i i i'm interested to see how they do against teams that have more length i thought it was really interesting yesterday i, I pointed out in my newsletter brunson got blocked five times yesterday he'd only been blocked 23 times the whole season in what 40 41 games whatever it was um so you know i i, I do think sometimes they have a tendency to kind of force things a little bit randall can be guilty of that you know when when Brunson isn't playing all that well. I feel like that's kind of a tendency that he has to. We've seen Barrett press a lot. So um, I I just think that normally at this point, it's been long enough since they were in the playoffs to where it's like, I kind of want to see them again in the playoffs. But also, I don't imagine them finishing much higher than where they're at right now. So they're going to be a team that is, you know, um, not getting home court advantage. They're theoretically going to be playing against a Boston a Brooklyn, uh, you know, whether it's Philly, whether it is uh, Milwaukee, whoever, they're going to be playing against a team that's got more experience in those moments than they do um, and has more big guns, I think, than they do probably. Uh, so so we'll see, but I, I would venture to guess that um, it's a first round and out. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, I do think that they should probably go star hunting if that's the case um, because you have something that at this point, if you do make the playoffs, would have worked pretty quickly. And I think that the expectation was that they would be right around where they are, maybe a little bit lower as far as a playoff team with adding Brunson. And I think that, you know, it's simple addition, but just, you know, one plus one equals two 
if you go get one more guy, and again, you can knock everybody down a peg in terms of where they rank in terms of your usage. I think that works wonders for you with this team, particularly mm. if you can maintain the level of defense that you've been playing this year. So I, I would do that. What would you? What, what do you? Where do you feel about their star hunting stuff? It kind of comes down to how you feel about R.J. Barrett, in my opinion, because okay. I think I don't think Randall is the guy who teams are going to want back in a trade for a star. They're not trading Brunson. We know that they offered Barrett for Donovan Mitchell, and it's eerie. It's eerie how similar R.J. Barrett's stats are to last season. He's averaging last year 20.0 points a game. This year, 20.0 points a game. Last year, 5.8 rebounds. This year, 5.5. Last year, 3 assists. This year, 2.9. Last year, 2.2 turnovers. This year, 2.3. He's shooting slightly better from the field, but slightly worse from 3. I don't know that I really trust his three-point shot. Last year it was at 34%. This year's at 32 He's not bad, but he's not going to be someone who is teams are selling out um, on the perimeter. It's going to be a combination of how do you feel about Barrett and who's that next star that becomes available? Because if it's like Bradley Beal, think I maybe wouldn't put R.J. Barrett in a Brad Beal deal. Wow. And I really... Beal, the things that concern me about Beal are, one, he's getting getting older and he's... Does he play? Fair. Um, I mean, you. every team would have to evaluate. I I feel like that's a question you have to ask with any trade. You know, a lot of... I I think you included have um, kind of talked about the... Is there an Anthony Davis trade that makes sense? Should they trade him? Um, any team that is making a deal of that magnitude, you have to ask yourself, what's the injury risk here? And um, so, I mean, that's fair of Beal, but I think it's probably fair of most guys. I'd also have to look at exactly how much time he's missed. But we've at this point, we've gotten used to him missing time every year. At least, yeah. I mean, he's only twenty nine, but they just signed the massive contract. I mean, the- he did. But to me, and here's the thing. Barrett, again, it depends on what you think is going to become of him. If you think he's going to be a, you know, let's let's say Barrett like impresses because I think impressive now would be like if the guy could be an All Star four times, I think you would take that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are some people that on the one end of the spectrum that are like diehard Knicks fans, diehard Barrett fans would say that's blasphemous. He could be do more than that. You're you're underselling him. If you ask the Knicks, I think, especially for what they gave him contract was like, I think they would take that. Um, he's got a lot of incentives in his contract that could push his number higher, but he's making less than 30 a year. Um, you know, at a time where a lot of guys in his class or a couple, the guys right above him in his class were getting maxes and will be super max mm-hmm. guys soon. So I think you would take that if you're Barrett and you're the Knicks. Uh, I, at this point though, like in, unless he's going to show that somewhat quickly, especially if you're talking about making a playoff run this year and you're looking to add a star next year. Um, I'm not even concerned about Barrett. I'm just kind of more really fixated on what you pointed out, which is that his numbers have been so consistent, but so kind of like it leaves you wanting a little bit more. Yes, a little bit. And he has, <laughs> and he has these stretches where you're like, oh my God, he's put it together and he's a two-way force. And then he regresses and reverts. Yeah. Yeah, and, prog- so- and progression's not linear. I'm not saying this is who he is, but 
at the same time, it's who he's been so far, and it's a legitimate question how much better he's going to get. And, and I guess the Beal thing to me, it's less that like I think Barrett's like untouchable. It's more like, do you take the risk on the literal next star who becomes available, or do you try to hold out for someone in particular? Right. It could. I, is there a world in which Joel Embiid becomes available, or I, I don't know? I, I mean, who? I'm just throwing out big names, but what if? Is there a world in which Jalen Brown? Maybe I don't know. I just. Well, here's the thing. If you're the Knicks, I don't think. I don't know that. Like this is no disrespect to him. I don't think. Just like we saw with the Jazz deal. Um, Barrett wasn't moving the needle so much in the Donovan Mitchell thing. I couldn't believe I couldn't believe the Jazz didn't take Barrett back for Mitchell for what it's worth. That shocked me. I I mean, it's a little surprising, but it's like I think it it also is a wake up call where I think we've gotten so in the habit, and by we, I mean I think just the basketball Twitter sphere in general, where we just kind of take for granted, like, oh, if a team has a bunch of assets, as many as the Knicks have, as many as like the Thunder have, you name it. And they also have, like, a guy that is, you know, has all-star potential, which I think most people would say Barrett at least has that Mm -hmm. at some point. Who knows when it happens, if it happens. But that and, you know, someone that is a 20-point-per-game youngster um, that, you know, we assume that the other team will just take back the best player in that deal. But again, Barrett was on the cusp of getting a new deal or or an extension. Mm -hmm. Uh and I've, I've said this before about different guys. I've said it before. Ben Simmons, I was a different case. But I don't blame teams for wanting to build exactly they want to build around exactly the guy they want. Well, um, what they really want is to not trade for players and trade for draft picks so they have plausible deniability when they lose. Right. And, and then can kick the can down the road and give themselves a 10-year window. Right. But that's but, a whole other discussion. But, but, but I think the point you brought up about Barrett and, and kind of, you know, Growth isn't linear, but the numbers being relatively the same from year in to year out. Um, I, I remember the same thing being true of Miles Turner for a long time, where his numbers, mm. no matter what he does, no matter what hot streak he goes on. I wrote a story about it when I was still at 538. He had like basically the most static stat line of all time from year to year. Um, and I think it's part of the reason that, again, if you talk to Pacers fans, um, especially some of the ones that were like, look, trade some bonus and then – Free up Miles Turner. Like, don't make Miles Turner have to play behind Sabonis and what he can't do defensively. Then they get rid of Sabonis and his numbers are still the same. Now, now he's having a career year. So it's interesting of like how long do you wait for that pot of gold? Which, by the way, might not ever come. Everybody's different. Um, everybody's timeline is different. Like you said, growth isn't always linear. But I I just don't know that it's a given that if you want someone like Embiid. Uh, first of all, there's going to be a lot of suitors. We know that with any player of his caliber. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's, um, you know, there's all kinds of CA whispers and and beat sure. to the Knicks is not a new or novel. But but here's the thing: if you do that, I just don't know that the Knicks would have. They would obviously have a, a a plethora of draft picks that are appealing to anybody. I don't know that they're they're you. I mean, they'd have to really empty talent. out Grimes, Barrett. It would have to be everybody. And yeah. like, I just don't think that, you know, like as it stands, I don't think Barrett excites everybody. I think people are split on how they feel about him. Yeah. And uh, so I don't think that's normally your headliner in a trade for someone of like perennial all NBA talent. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. I, I'd be interested. That's why I reacted the way I did yeah. when you said 
that you might not give up uh, Barrett for Beal because I I don't I think Barrett is no it's a good probably point. a non-starter for enough teams not everybody but uh, you know that's I think a, that you you would try to sweeten the pot from there if, if he was that's on a, the table that's a very fair point who do you like more Barrett or Hero um honestly I would say if, if we're talking about future I would say Barrett and also like Ooh. like just completely um apart from their teams like singular player because mm. i think hero's got really really great talent around him uh not great talent but like very very good talent i mean no, around come on. Him. he's got he's got jimmy bam kyle lowry an incredible coach he's right he's in an ecosystem he's got better infrastructure for now 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 that said barrett has a better situation but I'm still waiting on him. Like, I, I don't know. I will say this. I, I I think we're getting to that point now where it's like, you've got to show some progression. Um, and I see, I see Nick's fans tweeted RJ's trainer a lot. And like his, uh, <laughs> you know, like, what is he working on this summer? Like, you know, almost like a story time. And he's like, well, this summer we're, you know, almost like a chef is like telling you what's on the specials menu. Uh, he's got to start showing something that's like sustainable and not, I don't want to necessarily see him have a two-week hot streak where he goes for 27 a game and then it regresses where he's shooting 15, 20% from three for then the next three weeks. He's had that every year. He started slowly every year. Um, he has a point guard now. He's you know solidly like their third guy now. Um, and you would hope that that kind of means that uh, it frees up more opportunities for him. It gives him less of a defender to have to go up against, but... Uh, you know he's he's had really good moments. He has really good flashes. He always does. Um, but I think it, it sometime soon. I think it's going to be time to see a little bit more than just that. I can't make fun of Knicks fans for tweeting at RJ Strader because I texted Chris Brickley during the playoffs to thank him for what he did to Jimmy Butler's jump shot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy just came out, started hitting all these threes. I was like, this is sick. It's like Amen. every day, every day he's posting a video with him in the gym with Chris. <laughs> yeah, well, I shout guess they did out, Shout something. out to Chris, man. Chris is a yeah, he's a legend, I, dude. I I got to know him a little, just yeah. a little bit when I um, was covering the Knicks because he was doing so much work with mm. Carmel Anthony and those guys. And uh, he, he he he's a hardworking dude, and he's he's he worked a lot to grow kind of the clientele that he deals with. So he uh, we used to do the old SITV show, the crossover. And Brickley came on a couple times. Just like the second time, he's like, "Yeah, I'll come hang." And he was really nice, dude. Yeah, Le- like ran us through a set of fake basketball drills, and I just kept flopping the whole time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's a good dude. Shout yeah. out to Chris Brickley, man. Um, Chris, that will do it for today's episode of Open Floor. Uh, we didn't get to talk about Man on Fire today. Did I tell you that I watched Training Day for the first time like three weeks ago? You did not, but that mo- every time I watch that movie, I'm like, yo, this is it, it, it's it's fascinating to watch. It, it's, it's kind of very interesting to watch now. Yeah, it's in, it's a little bit infuriating to me that that was Denzel's first best yes. actor Oscar because yes. I I just kind of feel like I, I think um, the Academy Awards have so many makeup awards, and I think mm-hmm. there were a lot of people of color that were really frustrated. They're like, why does he have to play a bad guy to win? the award when he's he's shown and, so much versatility and, and not career. only that he has to play like a specific kind of bad guy and i mean we're really gonna get the just the juxtaposition of his character to ethan hawk's character and yeah some of the the politics of that and 
it's a very interesting movie to watch now, you know, over 20 years later, because the performance is still remarkable. It's a great oh, it's performance. Fantastic. Yeah. I've been saying you like to get wet um, to my friends every, every day since <laughs> I saw the movie. There's some um, great lines in that yeah, movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I saw the whale. I saw the whale uh, the other night. I, I dropped what I was doing after I saw the Brendan Fraser speech. Mm. And uh, like literally I, it, that, that speech happened. I didn't see it until nine. 45 my time i was scrolling mm. through twitter and i was like holy hell this is powerful and i know generally speaking what the movie's about so i literally got on my phone like where's the closest theater that's showing it and i was like i've got time tonight if it bleeds into tomorrow i don't have time because i'm moving i'm packing all my mm-hmm. boxes up so there was one showing at 10 o'clock at a theater about 20 minutes away i hopped in an uber like i called the uber threw on some shoes went to the theater got there like right as the previews were ending and watched it and just Man, was like for you. spellbound. It was it was crazy to watch. It's also interesting to watch the criticism of that movie. Yes, I need uh, to see it because I've I've heard very interesting criticisms and I'm I'm very interested in his performance. His acting job's yeah. top notch. It's it's yeah. just scary how good he yeah. was in that film. It's a hard movie to watch though, so be yeah. prepared for that. Um I gotta check it out. But yeah, we yeah. will we will have to do a full hour on Denzel performances one day. Maybe maybe we get in spike in for that pod. Um Wow, that'd be yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. He'd, he'd probably be down. I'll talk there to him. There we go. There we go. Um, but that will do it for today's episode of Open Floor. Thank you to my friend Chris Herring. Thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, please keep your emails coming in. We got some good emails that we did not get to today. But shout out to Elliot, Thaddeus, the whole crew, Ellie. Thank you guys for all your emails. We'll do some emails again soon. I promise. Open Floor Mail at gmail.com. Until then, continue to enjoy the NBA Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.